0: Hey guys and welcome back to the Image Junkies podcast. Sorry we've had a few weeks break, Uh, life's pretty crazy at the minute, second baby due any moment um, and all that good stuff. So yeah, I've been super busy but back with you now with a fantastic interview today. We're interviewing a guy called Stuart McKenzie. Um, who is a cameraman and editor for the BBC. And the reason we've got him on is he's a bit of an expert. He wouldn't say so himself because he's far too modest, but a bit of an expert in filming in extreme cold weather. He was based in Russia for two years and he's recently returned from trips both to the Arctic and the Antarctic. So loads of good information coming up in this interview. I I learned a lot actually. I haven't worked much in cold weather. So If you think you might have to in the near future, do listen to this and be sure to have a pen and paper to take notes. There's also a chapter about cold weather working and extreme weather in my book, Camera Confidential, plug, 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 um, which you can find on Amazon. Just search for my name, Christian Parkinson, Camera Confidential, or you can just go to imagejunkies.net and follow the uh, correct links, you shouldn't have a problem there. So yeah, if you feel like uh, funding my lavish lifestyle, please do so. Uh, and in the meantime, let's crack on with the interview with Stu, which is absolutely fantastic. Who are you, mate, and What do you do?
1: Um, I uh, well, I'm Stu McKenzie, and I'm a, a shoot edit cameraman for the BBC. Uh, currently working in the Mos, uh, not in the Moscow bureau. That was my old job. <laughs> uh, currently working in, in the Bristol bureau, covering the the southwest of uh, of UK.
0: Oh, brilliant! And what, what what were you doing before? What's your background?
1: uh well i don't like telling a lot of people this but my background is uh in the army i was in the army for 24 years you look too uh, young how can to... you have been in
0: the army 24 years you you look way too young
1: thank you very much yeah joined <laughs> at the right age of 17 and a half oh wow so very much like lee durant similar sort of background to lee durant you had on recently and in fact i know lee very well uh, he's a good friend of mine he was visiting me in this house not so long ago actually oh wow uh so yeah um yeah, similar background to him, really, and and certainly on that photographic side, that's really how I started.
0: Oh, brilliant! And and so since you left the military, then what how did you end up getting into the BBC? What have you been doing?
1: Uh, I got a job with the BBC region in Birmingham, and for me that was a great start. I was very lucky to get a foot in the door. To be quite honest, uh, you know, a job came up, I applied for it, and I was just very lucky to get it. You know, right at the ed- end of my army career, I. I You know, I didn't really have a gap between jobs. So that was fantastic for me. And then really working in in a region was brilliant, but everybody kept pushing me towards London and saying, you know, with your background, you know, go try and get in with network. And the network desk in Birmingham, you know, kept saying the same and and they put me in touch with people down in London. So so then I went on attachment in London, which was fantastic. And I traveled all over the place. And and then out off the back of that came the opportunity to go to Moscow, working in the bureau in Moscow, and that was that was pretty good actually. I mean, I was there for just under two years. I got back in October. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a different world.
0: Oh, fantastic! I mean, that because that's quite a swift, uh, you know, swift movement in your career from you know the military straight into a job with the BBC, and after how many years to then go to the Moscow bureau? That's um, pretty impressive.
1: Yeah. Yeah, a couple of years. I, wow. I mean, I'm fortunate. I've, you know, fortunate. I've got a bit of background on the camera side. You know, mm. that's something the army gave me. Uh, you know, I was sent away on BBC courses when I was in the army, and you know, I did did quite a bit of it. And I ended up running for quite a while the combat camera teams. So uh, all the teams going into the different theatres, I, I was running those teams. Oh wow! So kind of lucky i got a good grounding in in the role really you know the news gathering role and uh yeah i i, I say lucky sometimes certainly in the military you make your own fortune and you push for certain courses yeah but i think he lucky to leave the military and very lucky to get a job straight away with the bbc because i know a lot of not everybody does
0: but as i always say and uh, you know what, what is the old saying the harder you work the luckier you get right
1: yeah yeah, absolutely. You've got to you've got to put the effort in, haven't you? And uh, you know, and you've got to look for those opportunities.
0: Mm, exactly. and,
1: and even if you don't think, you know, you can't do it, or you 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 know, you think you lack a skill set, go for it. Because even just by going for it, that gives you good experience.
0: Yeah. No, I agree completely. I think that's a great attitude and and one that a lot of cameramen could learn from, you know, instead of being scared of new experiences and trying new things, just jump in with both feet and give it a go. What's what's the worst that can happen? Yeah, precisely.
1: Yeah, I agree completely.
0: So I'm quite quite intrigued by Moscow. I spent three months there uh, back in 2005. Um, So I only really scratched the surface. So, I mean, having done two years there, we spoke to Bob Prabhu in episodes two and three of the podcast. He yeah. was there. You probably know him. Um, yeah, yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah and, you know, great character. And, and, you know, he spoke about it at length. But how is it now for a foreign journalist? Because, you know, you hear all these stories about harassment and how difficult it is to work. Was was it like that for you? And if so, how did you deal with it?
1: it you know, to be honest, it wasn't that bad. Hmm. Um, you know, you, I, I've certainly heard a lot of horror stories. And... Uh, it, it, you have to be wary. You're always on your guard, you know, and I think that's, in, it, in that kind of country, a foreign country, you know, you've got to be anyway as a cameraman with, you know, whether you're looking after your kit or looking after yourself and the team. Hmm. But I certainly didn't feel under threat at, at any time when I was in Moscow. There's a lot of suspicion towards you because you're a Westerner and you're working for what many see in Russia as, as a state-run television network. Yeah. So, you know, m- many people in Russia think BBC is state-run uh, and very similar to RT. That That's how they equate the BBC in Russia. Um, but, you know, Russians are, um, despite that hard exterior, you know, they're, they're, most of them are very nice people. The people are people everywhere, I think. And if you get to know people and you approach them with, in a certain way, with a certain attitudes, you know, people are people and you, you will get the best from them. but saying that there's still a lot of suspicion uh there's and i think now so i mean i left in october but i can't imagine what it's like now uh yeah actually has ramped up that that level of suspicion and that sort of hostile attitude towards westerners has probably gone significantly after the salisbury incident yeah
0: i mean when i was there i think things were a lot easier Uh, I I mean, I was only there for three months. I certainly didn't experience any negativity whatsoever. But uh, I think, uh, you know, I I imagine it's got a lot worse. But um, I mean, a little anecdote uh, that sort of proves your point about people being people is I covered the Kordakovsky trial. Um, Yeah. And every day we'd have to queue up, go through the security, you know, like 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 doing airplane security. And yeah. every day I would, you know, be greeting everyone, you know, um, drug, privyet," you know, yeah. all yeah. of that stuff. And at first they'd just stare at me like, who the fuck is this idiot? And then after about a week, you'd see them start smiling. And, and by the end of the trial, they'd look for me in the queue and they'd, they'd say, drug. And they'd like call me forward and then just wave me straight through security, you know. So I, I always use that as my example of actually Russians, they look like hard fuckers, but actually they're really yeah. just like the rest of us underneath.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and I think that sort of hard exterior, that not smiling when you're on the street, you know, that's something that dates back to Soviet times, maybe even before. Mm. But as soon as you break through that, yeah. they're people. And people have, people are the same all over, all over the globe. You know, and you can find common ground with most people in one form or another. And that, again, an anecdote from my side, not from Moscow, but from uh, another job when I I went over to the the jungle camp in Calais. Oh, wow. Uh We were doing some filming there. And I think it was only a week before, two weeks before, there had been uh, quite a big incident where a photographer had been set upon and was quite badly beaten up so with that in mind you know i just adopted the same approach and i went in and found that common ground straight away big smiles on my face saying hello to everybody and and i'm not a football fan but i talked football Mm. and it was oh manchester united Are you a manchester united fan yeah you know and that just broke the ice with everybody it was amazing and we had no hassles at all and everyone was very friendly and welcoming actually and that's you know and i think it's that it's that mindset don't go in there yes be wary but go in there with a smile, go in there, you know, and, and try and break those barriers down and, and you'll get the best out of it. I think I think that's a, a good bit of advice for anyone listening
0: to this, especially someone who's, who's new to the game, is uh, that attitude will get you much further than anything else. You know, that friendly, smiley,
1: happy-go-lucky Absolutely.
0: attitude. Um, you know, I've I, you see some cameramen, don't you? You just rock up, stick a camera in someone's face, you know, and yeah. then it's not surprising they get, you know... Uh, A bit of a bad response from that but I think what you're saying there is is spot on and I think people listening to that can take a a lot away from that
1: yeah Um, I think you're right I think you've got to be empathetic as well you know you have to have that sort of empathetic attitude and pick up on on signs in people very very quickly so you can if you do that and you've got that empathetic attitude if people start turning aggressive you can pick up on it very quickly exactly you know and and it it just helps you It's, it's part of your sort of wider situational awareness in in any scenario i think there's
0: a reporter who you will know but just for people listening who don't know at the bbc called david sillitoe an arts reporter um and i once had this conversation with him and i said what do you think the most important trait is in any cameraman like the most important skill and he thought about it for a minute you know and i thought he was going to say you know some sort of technical skill or something else and he said "Mm, emotional intelligence and I yeah. thought, what a great answer. And it's true, you know, without that emotional intelligence, you won't be in the place to get the right shot in the first place. It doesn't matter how technically right. skilled you are.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, yeah, he's hitting a nail on the head
0: there.
1: Mm. Yeah, Empathy, emotional intelligence, yeah, definitely.
0: Exactly. So, well, uh, so the reason I got you on, Stuart, and for the listeners, yeah. obviously you've worked in Russia for two years. And plus uh, I know you've recently been uh, – I always get mixed up. Arctic or Antarctic? I get the two mixed up.
1: I've been to both. Oh <laughs> yeah, it's kind of weird because in December I went to the Antarctic. Yeah, but that for that was for that was nothing to do with the BBC. That was a private trip. I do quite a lot of photography in my sort of spare time. Yeah, and travelling and uh, yeah, I jacked up going to the Arctic and I lived with reindeer herders. Wow. Um, Two hundred miles inside the Arctic Circle, me and one other guy who who was basically a sort of fixer interpreter for me, yeah. uh, and that was it, completely unsupported. Wow. And uh, yeah, we travelled with them, with them, and, and lived with them. You and know, how for, for how long was that for? So it was about two weeks. Wow,
0: that's um, a
1: great I, trip. Yeah, it was fantastic. I wanted it to be longer, but the Russian authorities were closing the area off because they had a satellite coming down, and uh, they didn't okay. want to. Over in the area with a camera, so we yeah. we, we told our deadline, um, but yeah, that was a fantastic trip, and that was in December. Yeah, so pretty nippy.
0: And where can pretty people nip. see those pictures if they want to see them? Are they, are they out yet, or are they still not still not out?
1: Yeah, yeah, I've I've just um I, I mainly put them on my own Facebook page, so uh, edgeoffocus.com. dot yeah. uh, and there's also an Instagram page as well, edge of focus, and people can see them there. Uh, yeah, I just had a uh, an exhibition. A couple of weeks ago in the local town here and that went down a storm you know with those pictures so i was really pleased with that oh yeah, brilliant really yeah concerned. i
0: mean for anyone who hasn't seen them i've seen a few of the pictures and they are stunning so do do check out their website you.
1: yeah thank you and so um and then the sorry then the antarctic in january and that was a bbc trip that was uh going with uh, on a greenpeace ship down to the antarctic they were doing a scientific mission down there yeah so we we joined them for a couple of weeks on board the ship you know, down to the Antarctic and going ashore, and the correspondent went down in a submarine to the seabed. It was all, you know, it's quite exciting. It's a nice yeah. trip. Actually, that, yeah. that, that,
0: it's those sort of trips that are the reason we do this job, really, isn't it? You know, that's that's pretty exciting. Yeah,
1: yeah. So. um, top tips i think that's one of the reasons why you got me on yeah isn't it? well
0: i th- i thought given all your amazing experiences in these extreme cold weather environments uh you'd probably be the best guy to speak to to sort of pass on what 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 advice you've sort of picked up over the years of, of doing that sort of cold weather stuff
1: yeah i mean i'm no no expert and there's you know there's guys out there who have done plenty more than i have but uh, and i certainly said like a rubric that yeah exactly yeah exactly <laughs> but uh, and certainly before i went out there i sought advice from other people people i knew who had been out to those environments and you know i did go to norway years ago in previous job but um you know it's completely different when you've got camera kit and and you're going unsupported mm-hmm. so the first the first thing i would say certainly if you're going to, going to do a trip with limited support you've got to think about that yeah. you know you have to think about contact how are you going to contact the outside world if something goes wrong? Think about all the scenarios that could go wrong. You know, um, make sure you tell people where where you're going to be, rough areas, where you're going to be at what times, and have check-in times for when you're coming back. You know, it's sort of common sense stuff. Yeah. One of the things I had was a Garmin tracker.
0: Okay, one of the GPS trackers.
1: GPS tracker, which yep. was… Fantastic piece of kit, because not only was it great for family, they could just go onto a website and see where I was in the yeah. world, uh, but also there's an SOS button on it as well. So if things go pear-shaped, yeah. as, long, as long as you've signed up to the right contract, you, you can push that SOS button, yeah. and uh, they will arrange, you know, sort of local search and rescue to come and get you. Oh, brilliant. So that is, yeah, and a satellite phone as well, uh, absolutely vital. And with, um, with that system, just sorry, sorry to cut you off there,
0: with that yeah, system… Do you, is that worldwide? Like you sign up for that, and then anywhere in the world, you know, whether you're in the Amazon or the Antarctic, you press that button, and they'll do their best to find someone in that area to come and find you.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, you've got to pay a, a monthly fee to yeah. that, but what I like about it is you can switch that monthly fee off. So if you're oh, not right. going anywhere for six months, you can just switch it off. Yeah. You don't know, pay for six months, and then when you know you're going somewhere, you switch it on beforehand, and you start paying again.
0: That's brilliant. Uh, for that yeah, that's really away. good to
1: know. Yeah it's really good and it's and as I say it's just good for family mm. just you know while you're away and you can't phone them they can just go online and there's a little blue dot that shows them where you are and where you've been. It's quite, yeah, it's quite yeah. cool, actually. No,
0: that is good. Yeah. I mean, just living in Johannesburg, <laughs> we have one. Yeah. In, we have a, track, a GPS tracker in our car. And also, my wife and I have a tracking app on our phones so we can see where each other are yeah, all the time. Yeah, yeah. Not because we don't trust each other, but because, you know, shit happens. And, yeah. you know, it's always nice absolutely. to see where the other person is, or at least where their phone and car are
1: anyway. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. No, it's quite important. Um, In terms of kit so sort of tips for kit i mean i've found the the biggest thing is batteries you know the cold as everyone knows just zaps those batteries so it's it's looking after those batteries in terms of the battery management you know how you know making sure you're charging at the right you know levels you know because you know what some batteries like if you're only half charging them they will they will zap quicker you know if you're not letting them drain then charging them you know, depending on the kind of battery, but you've got to keep them warm. And one of the things I found was I had a little, uh, little shoulder pouch. So it would sit underneath a couple of my layers and I just put a spare batteries in that. So it'd sit underneath, almost underneath my armpit.
0: Right. Well, they say that's the best place that in your balls to keep stuff warm, right?
1: Exactly. Yeah. But I didn't fancy walking around in a funny, funny place (laughs) under the armpit. Was much better for me, um, and that that was that was you know that was pretty cool. um Just keeping it in there. Yeah. One of the things I found certainly with a DSLR in particular, when your nose is right up against it, you know, mm. and you're breathing right up against your camera, that condensation just turns to ice almost instantly. You know, you've really got to be careful. Yeah. But you know, so you have to sort of cover up on your nose or your face anything that's going to come into contact with any metal part of your camera um or you know and you've got to be careful when you're breathing not to get it in your viewfinder because it, it will just turn to ice and suddenly oh, your shit, viewfinder right. is like, over yeah so that's one of the problems you know that that's certainly i faced because i'm left eye dominant right actually the viewfinder certainly with a you know the video camera the viewfinder's is there the body's here yeah, yeah. so i'm breathing going up here and it, it can freeze quite quickly so you've got to you've got to think about that when you're doing it It's so
0: what's how, how did you
1: deal with that there's two two ways you could deal with it is just sort of breathe through your breathe it almost pushing the air away downwards rather than just breathing normally where it would come up your face or cover your face with some kind of you know buff or, or fleece hmm. but make sure you take that down when you're not filming because when you breathe on that that'll just freeze over right and yeah, suddenly yeah Thing will just stick to your face you know so you, it's it, that's one of the, the difficulties really um the other thing is if you're using um you've got to think about what camera to take so in moscow we had the pmw 500s but with black and white viewfinders oh okay and what was the was that for a specific reason yeah it's because in the winter the uh they are rated down to colder temperatures than the color oh viewfinder. okay so you sort of find, you know, we were finding uh, sort of minus 20, minus 25, the colour ones will freeze up. Right. Uh, whereas the black and white ones won't. Yeah. So, so it's, um, you know, that's probably the best tip I ever had. Right. And I my steels kit as well. Uh, the LCD screens on the top and on the back, you know, past minus 20 and they start freezing up uh, and you can't use them so you're relying on everything just looking through the viewfinder and and doing it that way but yeah. you know things like an fs5 you take that down to mine past minus 2025 20, and, and the screen the lcd screen will start to to freeze up right and that yeah. that that then becomes a problem yeah because you can't see what you're recording uh the other, t- <laughs> super, wide the other <laughs> super wide angle lens Super wide-angle yeah on infinity yeah. um and uh, with those lenses, if you're using Canon lenses, for example, they have a, a rubber seal where the lens meets the body. Yeah. Uh, that rubber uh, in those extreme cold temperatures gets extremely um, brittle and can break off. Right. And that's where you start having light leak into the where the CCD is then, because it, 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 it doesn't create that seal against the body of the camera. Yeah. So don't don't change lenses basically oh really so you, you just know? want to
0: choose the lens before you start filming and say right this is my lens for the day
1: yeah yeah uh if you're lucky enough when you're shooting with dslr's have two bodies hmm. um you know if it's something like an fs5 or fs7 you know or c100 300s then then tr- don't try and change those lenses right. uh in the coldest coldest part of the day because they, that rubber becomes very brittle and it'll just break off yeah so that's that's top tip now the biggest tip <laughs> i can give you is um you've got to plan your shoot because if you're shooting inside and outside mm. that becomes a massive problem with condensation right so it's okay going from outside uh, sorry from inside to out you know that transition yeah. will be fine but if you've been shooting outside and you want to shoot something inside and you come in straight away your camera will just condensate yeah because of the temperature difference, and if you then go back outside, that'll just freeze. Shit. So, you know, so how, how how do you do it? How do you juggle it? Well, you, you've got to plan it. So, uh, you know, you've got to think. Right, we're doing a shoot. We need to shoot inside and outside. Do all your inside stuff first, if you can, and then then do your outside stuff. And that's it's all down to planning. Right. If you if you then think, no, we have to go back inside and shoot something in a in an couple of hours that's fine but bring your camera in put hmm. your camera outside when it's outside yeah put your camera in a bag you know like one of these or water sort of sea bags canoe bags
0: okay yeah yeah
1: camera dry, inside dry right bag them.
0: that sort of thing
1: dry bag yeah yeah put it inside and seal it up outside and bring that bag inside with the camera in then the bag will condensate you see right. so the camera won't Bangle condensate, but you need to leave about an hour and a half, yeah, before you can camera out. And you've got to gradually sort of let it warm up to room temperature,
0: and then
1: you can take the camera, you can start shooting, and it should be fine, it won't be soaked in condensation. (laughs)
0: Because, because I guess oh, yeah, go on, sorry.
1: No, I was gonna say that, I mean, that that's the the biggest killer, you know, uh, for for cameras. And you know, I've seen people taking a camera outside, and suddenly the lens just freezes over,
0: right? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah it can be in extreme temperatures you know I've seen lenses with the, the front element cracked just because of that 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 freezing you know yeah. it's sort of instant freezing and it just cracks it
0: wow and it's quite yeah. and so on on that note then what do you do um in terms of you know let's say you return to a hotel or somewhere where you're sleeping at night that's sort of fairly warm Um yeah. do you, pre, pre, where do you keep the camera overnight what, what's your plan in that situation
1: uh, well, I mean, if if you're going to be in and out, I, you know, if the if it's got a balcony um, or you know you've got uh, you know the sort of toilet room, shower rooms are normally quite cool. Yeah. You can leave the stuff in there, you know, and just let it come up to room temperature in those in those rooms. Yes, yeah. uh, and that and that was probably what I would do. You know, I've certainly done that in the past, um, but it's quite difficult. I mean, when I was in the in the Arctic, we were in tents. Oh wow! But the tent- yeah, you know, in like teepees, they were like uh, they're called chums. Yeah, but temperature difference. I mean, it's minus forty outside, you know, and it was about five degrees inside the tent. Right. But that, that's massive temperature difference. Yeah. And as soon as you bring your your camera in, it 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 just almost it's almost like it sweats. It's just soaked, you know, and it's not good for the the camera, obviously, because it's dripping with with water. But then, again, if you go back outside to go and do something, that'll just freeze in minus four. It'll just be instant. So that's where this bag technique comes in. You've got to put it in the bag outside, bring that bag inside, and just let it, you know, come up to room temperature.
0: Yeah, no, that's a really good tip. And, I mean, in in terms of your your own well-being, like your own body and and so on, is there any advice you'd have for people there in terms of clothing and, um, you know, just looking after yourself in such a harsh environment?
1: Yeah, you've got to. Um, you definitely have to uh, go down the layer route, and occasionally, you know, when it's down to minus forty, you've got to have more than three layers on. You know, the three three layer is traditional, isn't it? The sort of you know the base layer, mid layer, and outer layer. Uh, in those conditions, you've got to ha- you've got to have more layers, um, and you've got to try and reduce the amount of areas of skin that's exposed to those temperatures. Yeah biggest problem is your hands obviously because you need your hands to operate the camera you know uh, so what i had is um big huge mittens with an inner mitten yeah uh, and then some close to the skin gloves so you know those sort of gloves that you just very close to skin gloves maybe a bit fleece lined quite warm yeah. but you can still you got rubber on the on the fingers and on the palms, so you can still operate the camera with them yeah so you can take Out of the big mittens, you can operate, do what you need to do. As soon as you start feeling it, they go back in the mittens, you know, and put some hand warmers. You know, the little hand warmers you get, you shake them about, yeah, and and they warm up. Put them inside your gloves as well, inside your mittens. Just gives you that nice bit of extra toasty feel. But you've got to go for layers. Yeah, you know, I have the base layer, maybe two base layers, you know, to trap that air. Lots of layers are better than just big bulky clothing because big big bulky clothing will just let that air out mm. and it, it won't heat up the, the air won't heat up but layers will trap that that air in between the body and your skin and in between each layer and hopefully if they if they're good wicking material it will yeah. get that wet away from your body which is crucial in those environments because if you're walking for example and you're sweating a little bit and you stop you can you can come down with exposure very very quickly right so those sort of technical materials close to your skin that will get that sweat away from your body are yeah. vital. Yeah, absolutely vital. Well, yeah. So that. Sorry.
0: Well, I was gonna I was gonna ask a question um, on on that note. Sleeping at night um, in cold environments. Do you sleep naked?
1: Uh, I don't. Hmm. No. Uh, I mean, there's there's lots of different ways that you you can do it. Um, I was lucky in, in the Arctic, we were inside this tent, it was five degrees, I had a great sleeping bag, and I just wore a a, like a sleeping layer, like a base layer yeah. in that bag. If you're outside in that environment, you know, the Arctic is, is much wetter uh, in terms of the moisture than the Antarctic. So sort of in, in Arctic environments, you know, there, there are even some sleeping bags, if you've got down sleeping bags, you almost have to sleep inside a plastic liner. Yeah. Because as, you're, as you're, um, your as your your body is breathing at night, it can form that condensation, mm. the, you know, on the the sort of you know the, the actual sleeping bag, and it just gets soaking, and then that can freeze. But yeah. if you're inside like a thick liner inside, yeah. you know, it, it stops that uh, moisture reaching the actual sleeping bag, but it'll still keep you nice and warm. Gotcha. Okay. So, so that's. I mean, that's that's you know. With some modern sleeping bags, you don't have to do that anymore. Certainly, synthetic ones, you probably don't have to do that. But you know, that's certainly one of the ways you used to have to do it. With like a, it's horrible. Or it's almost like a bin bag liner oh, that you're no. sleeping just to stop that moisture <laughs> Sounds horrible. You know, getting. Yeah, yeah, getting to the sleeping <laughs> bag. It's when you have to drip it out, tip it out in the morning. It's,
0: yeah. Uh, oh no. No, the, yeah. the reason I ask about the naked thing is um, mm. I wouldn't spend Christmas uh, in Hellman. And I think it was about minus 10. And we were in uh, like a a brand new forward operating base, like literally just sort of sandbags and machine guns. And uh, there was a bit of a temp, but it was so cold at night. I had this Arctic sleeping bag that was rubbish. And I just spent the whole night like shaking like this. And one of the Marines we were with that, you know, suggested I sleep naked. But I was so cold. You know, when you're so cold, you can't bring yourself to take anything off. Uh, yeah, in the end, yeah, yeah. In, in the end, after about day three, one of the guys lent me his softy suit, and then I slept fantastic in that and my sleeping yeah. bag. It was great, but but I just wondered if, if the naked thing was true or not.
1: <laughs> well, I, I think that's just the Marines; they do like about to get to naked. Say, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but but it, it is. It depends on it depends on the environment and uh, the sleeping bag system that you're using. So yeah. you know, uh, yeah, absolutely. Being naked allows your body heat. To, to get out and warm up the sleeping bag. You know, the sleeping bag is designed to trap that heat. Hmm. So, yeah, that, that that would work. But having one layer on you, a tight layer, you know, yeah. very similar to a base layer, would, would probably have the same effect. Okay. Oh, brilliant.
0: See, I f- I'm, I'm starting to feel prepared if, on the off chance, I ever go to a cold weather climate. But I, I think a lot of people listening to this will, uh, will be, you know, taking notes, and this is really, really useful stuff. Luckily, I work in hot weather, not cold weather, so...
1: Yeah, no, I kind of want a nice warm one next. <laughs> I think loads of cold stuff. Uh, but yeah, I don't. Know. What, what, I mean, what are the tips? I mean, feet, feet are massive. You know, you've really got to look after your feet. Your feet mm-hmm. are going to get cold. Uh, you've got to layer layer up on socks as well. But wool is probably the best thing for your base layers and yeah. for your socks. Merino wool in particular. Right. You know, if you get base layers and socks that are as close to 100% merino wool, that will just keep you so warm. It's unbelievable. It's right. the natural qualities of that wall are fantastic. Um, unfortunately, it's quite expensive as you know, you go into this kind of, you know, this kind of extreme environment, yeah. you end up paying a lot of money.
0: Yeah. yeah,
1: A yes. lot of money. No, and,
0: no way around that,
1: sadly. Uh, you've got to have the right kit because it, it's life or death. There's no, there's no ifs or buts about that. It's life or death. You know, mm. it's the same in, in a desert, you know, when you're stranded, if you're there by yourself, it only takes one little mishap. And suddenly you're there without any anyone to come and help. Yeah, you know it's life or death. So you've got to be prepared. And I think I I felt prepared. Um, I really did. But it was always in the back of my mind. You know, what if? What yeah. if? And I just kept going through all these scenarios. What if? What if? Well, and I think I think, I think that's another got,
0: good tip, isn't it? For anyone listening, is always you know have those what if. Uh, thoughts in the back of your head so you, so if it happens you've at least thought about it and you've got a little bit of a plan
1: yeah absolutely yeah absolutely you know i mean getting to the this place in the antarctic it was so remote i mean we we drove in an all-terrain vehicle on a frozen river oh wow for eight hours yeah Good. eight hours on a frozen river and it was constant for me it was that constant what if, you know, what if we go in and we sort of sink to the left side or sink to the right mm. side? Where's the escape hatch? How do you open the escape hatch? Yeah. You know, all of those kind of things. You've just got to mentally sort of go through those in your head. Yeah. You know, it, I mean, it won't become muscle memory because it takes thousands of times for something to become muscle memory. But it, if you've got it in your mind, hopefully, when your survival instincts kick in, their yeah. fight or flight instincts—that's what comes to your mind, and you you go for the escape hatch, or you know, uh, yeah. or you, you manage to sort yourself out. You just got to keep asking yourself those questions, and it's not done in a you know you don't do it in a panicky way. Mm. It's just a case of, okay, I'm going to be doing this. What if something happens over here? Can I deal with that? What have I got to deal with that? Yeah, you know, is there anyone who can help? And it's just just asking yourself those questions, you know, every now and again. Yeah. You know, I I took a guy with me who in, who was an interpreter. Uh, spoke in, very good English, great Russian. Uh, he was completely unprepared for that environment. And I ended up supplying him with a lot of kit and talking him through stuff. Right. When we got into the back of the vehicle, he was very panicky, visibly shaken that we were driving on a frozen river, you know? Yeah. And so, so I was going through my what ifs, but I was, instead of going through the mine, I was going through him.
0: Right. And then so, that was reassuring. So you were able to vocalize it and bounce it off someone. And, yeah. and I guess that helped you to re- remember and think through it as well.
1: It did, absolutely. But it, I, I think it helped him massively as well. It was just one of those things I thought, right, you know, I could see he was quite shaken. How do I deal with that? Yeah. And it, it was just a case of, look, you know, if it goes over here, there's the escape hatch. That's how you do it with a handle. You know, that's what we'll do. Yeah,
0: And it was just going through that. And, it, and it, he just felt reassured. Brilliant! You, know, you didn't tell him he'd die within thirty seconds from the cold,
1: then. <laughs> <I'm> tempted, <laughs> uh, just just to wind him up a bit. But no, he was all right. I could see he was he was physically shaken. Yeah. But, uh, that's fair yeah, enough. <laughs> yeah, it's good fun if you do it right. It, mm. It's it's an amazing experience. You know, any cold environment is yeah. is just magical. It really is, and you can get some great pictures, absolutely stunning pictures. Um, but you've just got to look after yourself.
0: Well, I mean, just on that note, and you know, I'll, I'll let you head off in a second, but I think that's worth talking about. Is is there any tips you have in terms of the actual filming side of things and, and getting quality images when you're seeing so much white? And particularly, you know, like if you work with zebras and stuff, you've just got zebras everywhere and it's probably a bit off-putting. I mean, you know, how do you find, how difficult is it to get the right exposure, for example?
1: Yeah, it is it is very difficult, as you know, because uh, everything is white, you know, and um, certainly when I was in the Arctic, it was, you know, it was very black and white, uh, with only three hours of daylight a day. Right, okay. So that that was very, very tricky. Um, yeah, and in terms of exposure, yeah, I mean, I, I tend to, in that environment, I tend to underexpose pretty much everything. Yeah you know uh, sometimes underexposed by two stops even you know just just to you know to retain that detail in in those whites yeah um, and you've got to be careful with your white balance because you know in that environment it's either a crazily blue yeah or got this absolutely magical sunrise coming up and everything's orange so you've you've really got to kind of nail your, your white balance as well don't don't just leave it to post right <laughs> okay yeah yeah that's you know, Nail it while you're there. Think about what subject, you know, you're going to be filming. Don't necessarily just do it, you know, off a patch of snow. Think about the subject you're filming, you know, and what light is falling on them as the subject and white balance that light. And just let just let the snow do what it does. Gotcha. So even if the snow's a
0: bit blue or a bit orange, as long as your subject looks
1: right, that's your main goal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you've got very strong sunlight coming down on, so, and, you know, the, the sun is very, very low in the winter when mm-hmm. I was there, uh, and it's very orange. It's beautiful sunlight. Um, and it's, it's almost like a permanent permanent sunset. Yeah. So if you imagine if you white balance for that, you're going to get that correct white balance for the face and for the, those subjects. Yeah. But you then expect the snow to be a little bit bluish. Right. But do you know what? I, I don't mind that because it's cold, and that blue, little bit blue in the snow, uh, sort of accentuates the fact that it's cold yeah. to, to people watching it. So I don't, I don't mind that at all. You know, I think I think that's perfectly acceptable. Uh, if you were to, you know, white balance sort of over there somewhere, just off the snow, you could end up with you know a very very high, you know, sort of uh, white balance. Yeah. Uh, but then, then people's faces could be really <laughs> like lumpa really faces yeah so you just got it that's something you've got to be careful of yeah definitely
0: I think that's a good tip well look mate unless there's anything else you want to add I think I can probably leave you in peace there
1: no I I think you know there's um do your research that's all I'd say I mean do your research before you go find out where you're going make sure you tell people where you're going look after your batteries and your lenses particularly when you're moving from inside to outside uh and you know watch your face against the camera your hands you know look after your hands and uh yeah and and you know have a good time and you know it, as i say it's a magical place whether it's the antarctic siberia the arctic you know or even just somewhere in scotland you know um yeah well, it, judging, it be by, re- judging
0: by facebook even uh london recently <laughs> even London
1: recently yeah exactly yeah I mean, you, you think you think they'd had like you know, 10 foot of snow in this country. <laughs> ridiculous. Honestly, ridiculous.
0: Brilliant. All right, mate. Well, look, let me leave it there. Thanks a lot for everything. No worries at all, mate.
1: Appreciate it. Great to speak to you.
0: Well, if you enjoyed that half as much as I did, guys, please do subscribe and leave a comment. Uh, let's let Apple and other people know that this podcast is worth continuing and that we should keep going. And I will be back as soon as I can. I've, like I say, I have a baby due any minute. So... I could have another podcast next week or it could be another month. Let's see how crazy life gets. But in the meantime, do tweet me. I'm at imagejunkies with an I-E-S on the end. You can also check out my website, imagejunkies.net. And please keep in touch. Uh, I'm also admin on a Facebook group if you prefer Facebook. It's called Video Journalism. So pretty easy to find. And uh, just apply to join there and I'll make sure you do. All right then, guys. Well, look, take care and speak soon. All the best. Bye-bye.